Ronot researched real life stories. Hi guys, welcome to Inspirational Interviews, a super cool life stories platform where we showcase real life stories of people from all over the world. Brave hearts, famous or not, going out there doing their thing. These interviews are not staged. The conversations can go anywhere. What's your life story? Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life. With me, your host, Jen Rod. Well, look at us, eh? We made it. How are you doing? I'm very well in you. Cool, cool. Oh, I should have got myself a coffee, actually. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Not too bad. So where are you now? Are you are you in the studio? Are you in a studio? Are you home? Or? No, I'm in a studio. Things didn't go according to plan, but nevertheless, we made a plan. I've got sound. I've got decent camera, decent lighting. I think we're okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, okay. So just jumping straight in. So I know you because I got an email from one of my biggest fan followers who said that they, um, yeah, they see you on the socials, probably mostly Facebook. Cause I know he's on Facebook a lot and he mentioned you and said he'd love to hear your stories. So that's how I found out, found out about you. And then we've tried to connect a few times, but we've had internet connection issues. And then also there were the riots here and, uh, all the, the looting and the riots. So, um, yeah, as everyone knows, I don't know anything about the guests when they come on the show. And, um, yeah, that's the case with you as well. So let's just go straight in. John found you on socials. What would he have seen? Like, what what would he be seeing from the outside looking in? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question, and it's, it might not have a straightforward answer. I, um, I guess when I really hit the... The scene was in 2019 with a a group that I mm. launched called Hashtag I'm Staying. Um, the group was launched at a time where we had a lot of political unrest and a lot of racial uh, mm. baiting from our political uh, political leaders. We had the the fear of going into junk status, and uh, things were just not okay. It was a challenging time. It was a very difficult yeah. time for a lot of South Africans. We were all going through stuff mentally and emotionally. And I felt uh, like I was actually perpetuating this feeling of hopelessness and fear um, because I was part of the narrative, right? I was the one that was complaining uh, every opportunity I got about the brokenness and about the, the unfairness of it all. and. And uh, I made a decision to change my language, to stop speaking on the things that were broken and try to speak on things that were not broken and things that brought joy. And I I got these lessons Mm. earlier on in my, you know, while I was growing up through Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you're familiar with a lady by the name of Esther Hicks or she refers to herself as Abraham. Yeah. You know, speaking about how yeah, to conjure maybe. your reality, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how to conjure your reality, right? How do you how to yeah. bring and manifest things into your reality or the things that you want? So that was my message to Facebook. I had a small little message on my personal page that said, "Let's start being grateful for what we have. We live in a beautiful country. We have beautiful people. Mm. We have so many things that are that are good that we can hold on to." And uh, the, 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 the video didn't get much traction. I think I had about 40 likes on the video. But in the comments... So what did you actually do? Oh, yeah. what, what did you do? So, what, was it a... Okay. Yeah, so, so in, the, in the comments section, there, was a, there were two comments that really stood out for me. One was, I'm a stayer, said one of my friends. I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. And the other one said, why don't you start a Facebook page? This was now on the... Uh, on the 5th of September 2019 and on the 7th I launched move uh, I launched hashtag mm. I'm staying and within a couple of weeks we had hundreds of thousands of members we had hundreds of thousands of stories there were there wow. were 35,000 posts a day coming onto the platform we had 
Uh, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, within a month or so, we'd, we'd reached 1.2 million members. And it was just a flurry of just South Africans coming together, telling their stories. And I think the most powerful thing that came out of that entire exercise was the fact that we completely dispelled the narrative of a racially divided South Africa. We completely blew out of the water that it mm-hmm. was broken. There was so much good. There was so much... There was so much pain and a place for people to speak and to just air their stories and, and tell you about their experiences. And I, I remember reading story after story with just yeah. tears coming down my, my face because they were so powerful. It was so powerful. It was so needed at that time in South Africa. And so we manifested that. We manifested mm. this beautiful thing. And that's really where my journey began. It began at wow. Armstrong. But uh, subsequent to that, we, we also launched Move One Million, which is slightly different. Okay, yeah. So that was hashtag I'm staying. So what was the video? Like, what can I expect in my mind's eye? Well, the video was just me walking and talking about how we can be grateful for the country that we're in. We can be grateful for the yeah the beautiful people and the, the, the fact that there was still opportunity, the fact that we have each other, the fact that we have, you know, so many things going for us as a country. That was really the message. It was really quite simple. Yeah. And, I mean, what was your job at the time? I mean, and what is your job now? Well, now I'm an activist. But at the time, I, uh, I was in real estate. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was in re- I was in real estate. I, I actually had quite a tumultuous journey in real estate. I, uh, I, I was very successful when I entered the market in about 2015. And uh, I managed to work my way up um, through this company, which... Unfortunately, uh, towards the end, the, we found out that the company had stolen significant amounts of money from their trust accounts, from their clients, about 37 million rand. And there's uh, lots of bomb blasts and explosions and all sorts of things that went off. And uh, I, I really took a beating between 2000 and, call it 2017 and 2019 was really a very difficult time for me. But that's, that's what I did then, before then. Yeah. 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 So it was also that time when you were, you, it's, in, it's so interesting because it was, I mean, when you're going through a difficult time, obviously your headspace and your internal conversation, that dialogue is negative, right? Yeah. So you, how did you come across Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks, as we know her? How did you come across her? Were you seeking sort of motivational, positive reinforcement at the time? Well, no, I came across her when things were going very well. I came across her through a friend of mine. Um, mm. Tian Fick, he's actually the, he's another one that used Abraham and he's now South Africa's uh, heavyweight champion. And he used Abraham to get himself there. Unbelievable. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he, he introduced. How do you spell his name? Fick, F-I-C-K and it's Tian, T-I-A-N. Okay. okay. So, yeah. so yeah, so we. Uh, um, so, you can maybe get him on the show with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure. So, um so things were going incredibly well, and I'm just I'm just grateful that I had this opportunity to connect with her. And at the time, all my receptors were open. I was ready to listen, you know. I was, and we were just manifesting. We were just manifesting success after success, just to put you in the picture. Within six months, we became the top salespeople in the organization. He partnered with me, and a few months after that, we launched our own branch, which became the second highest performing branch next to head office. And a few months after that, we became national sales management team for the for the nine for the nine companies uh, across across the country. So this was. Really Really, wow. just speaking, we just manifested yeah. this stuff. Just speaking positivity, and 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 I think that you know the trick is, um, and what Abraham teaches is that you you know you you get the idea in your mind, but then you have to have the emotional connection to that, and that's where the manifestation happens. It's when you, yes. it's when you have the emotional, the feelings yeah. of success, the feelings of happiness, and all those things. That's when you sort of open up the door for all this beautiful stuff to come through. So, so yeah, that was that was when yeah. That happened. And so then I had to, that it's. Yeah, and then I had, yeah. I had to try and claw my way back to that, you know, after things went so horribly wrong, um, which was, that was challenging. That was very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well, how did you claw your way back? I mean, since you just mentioned it now, like you, you found out that the company was uh, unethical, like how, exactly what happened there? Well, I don't want to hop on this one too long, but basically uh, we, we, we got uh, SARS involved. I mean, I, I was the one that raised the flag. We, we found out that this money had been stolen and we, um, we raised the flag and we brought the company to its knees. We collapsed the company and mm. with that, we lost a lot of money and a lot of people lost their jobs. So it was quite a horrible space to be in. Um, 
and uh, and the journey yeah. after that was very tough you know that that my all my teachings went out the window between that point and the point where I actually did the the video that started out hashtag I'm staying that was that was I mean I was incredibly unhealthy I was completely overweight I was mentally in a very bad space I was just mm. I was I, I couldn't I couldn't get myself out of bed if I'm completely honest it was uh, it was very traumatic it was a very traumatic experience and but I, I had these teachings you know that I could I could reference on and I I sort of slowly made my way back to those teachings um, but it was hard because you know when I first started learning about Abraham my heart and my mind was open when I tried to claw my way back everything, yeah. everything was closed and it was like I could hear the mumblings of Abraham but I couldn't make out what she was saying if that makes any sense so that was really yeah yeah that was really tough yeah. but but when when the when the when the bomb dropped with arm staying and it took off like that, gosh, it just like the floodgates open and <laughs> here we are. But that's crazy. I mean, that's that's incredible because so many people on on social media, um, you know, do try do things and do attempt to create different pages or groups or whatever the case may be. But did you know at the time when you started that page, hashtag I'm staying, did you, did you, again, referring back to Abraham's teachings, but it's not just Abraham, how this is the teachings of all the great, uh, not philosophers, but the, but the great spiritual leaders, the great um, motivational leaders, you know, that it's all about body, mind and soul connection. That's what it is, right? So you can achieve anything as long as it's sort of the the mind, the heart, the body that's all in alignment with the flow of that goal and that energy. Um, so when you started hashtag I'm say I'm staying, did you consciously have that connection? Were you aware of it, or was it just something straight from the heart that you were doing? Well, it was. I think it was a combination of a whole bunch of things. You know, I mean, I, if you ask me. Was I aware that Armstrong was going to do what it did? There's, there's no conceivable way that anybody would have known. It was, it was just the right message at the right time, um, and it took off. But I was conscious in my wording. I was conscious in, yeah. I was deliberate in what I said. I was deliberate in the words that I used. Um, and then from there, we were. I was mm. quite deliberate in, you know, in trying to to build. Um, a lot of stuff we got wrong. A lot of yeah. stuff, but um, but a lot of stuff we got right. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, the rest is yeah. history. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you grew up in Cape Town, you now in Cape Town, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. I grew up in, uh, in Walkable, uh, which is a little, a little farming town in the South of Johannesburg. Um, I grew up uh, just around the corner from a little dairy farm and, um, all my friends were from a little village, a little clay village just down the way. I spent my time walking yeah. cows and uh, and eating prickly pears and chasing pigeons through the forest and setting the forest yeah. alight, which was. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I, I grew up in a very simple environment, and um, I, I guess uh, I guess in that respect, I, I was quite blessed because I wasn't jaded by the world or society that we you now found ourselves in. I was very much a little free spirit and I was, you know, I had the ability to roam and mm. to explore and to, and to make friends that were unconventional at the time, unbeknownst to me. I mean, I was just a kid, but anyway, that's sort of where I held from. And, um, yeah. and, uh, I spent most of my life in, in Johannesburg thereafter, moved a little bit closer to the city and grew up and started working and, um, got to travel the world quite a lot, quite extensively. I went into the mining technology space. I, uh, I've done about 35 countries, 34, 35 countries around the world. Um, mm. So I've, I've become quite a worldly person. I got to see a lot of Africa, which was also, I think has also shaped my my views on my own country and my own people. Um, yeah. And, and what are you doing in mining? I was in the mining technology space. So we, uh, we supplied um, mining tech that would help companies uh, get a better understanding of the geological models underground and a better way to mine them out, better, more efficient ways to mine them out and, and all those sorts of things. It's not something I'm incredibly mm-hmm. proud of because I don't really like the mining industry now. I'm not really a fan. But anyway, it yeah. was an experience and it, it uh, gave yeah. me a, a world of opportunity to explore the world and to explore people and to see different things. So... I'm very grateful for the experience, nevertheless. And then from there, I moved to Cape Town yeah. about a decade ago, and here I am today. You know. Yeah. 
So when uh, we, you say mining technology, what exactly did you study? Was a mining was it called mining technology? Is it electrical engineering or what was it? No, I never studied. Uh, I never studied any of it. I was in the sales, so my, my role was to was to sell these uh, these software packages into into the mining sector. We would deal with geologists and mining engineers and all the clever people. Oh, okay. I wasn't a, I wasn't a clever one. I just said uh, yeah. I had a good mouth and lots of energy, and um, you know it, it worked. It worked in my favour. <laughs> Yeah, so tell me at what point, it's interesting because I used to own an engineering recruitment company and the reason why I didn't carry on is because it was engineering and I didn't believe in in what was going on where the engineers ended up working, right, which is petrochemical, oil and gas, et cetera. So my ears picked up when you said you weren't proud of it, but at what point did you feel like, hold on a sec, this is maybe not where I want to be? Well, there's there's two different conversations. I think the the, the point at which I decided I, I, I no longer wanted to continue was just given the fact that it took a huge amount of my time and I was traveling extensively and going into high risk areas and mm-hmm. and I had a family and it was uh, it was challenging and it wasn't something that I was I was capable of of, of doing anymore. I just I, I'd run my course. I I was mm-hmm. depleted and uh, and I needed something new. So that was why I left it. But it was only later. You know, in later years, and I think I've become more conscious now over the last two or three years than ever before about the things that seemed so normal to me at the time. And now I really find myself questioning yeah. the decisions we make as humanity and the impacts that we're having on this world and what that's going to look like in a little while from now and what part we get to play as mm-hmm. individuals in that process, either unwinding it or, or pursuing it and where that's going to leave us one day. Yeah. So you say you've got a family. What's your family situation? What is my family situation? Yeah, you've got kids. You yeah, I've got a daughter and I've got an ex-wife. We're no longer married, but we uh, but we get along like a house on fire. Oh, okay. Um, and I've got one little. <laughs> See. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 We we do. Yeah. We get along very well. It, it, it wasn't an easy road. It took us about eight years to get to where we are. Um, of bashing heads and bumping heads, but we yeah. both came to the realization that. When you get divorced, it doesn't mean you're out of each other's lives. You know the reality is that we we stuck together. No. Um. You know around around that yeah. beautiful little creation that we made, and uh, so we we found a way. We forged the path, and uh, you know we we're in a very good space now with uh, with our child and uh, in our relationship as it stands. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, just going back to your question, because, you know, inspirational interviews is very much about, um, you know, about people connecting with their truth and and finding out their journey to this place of truth, right? So when you were younger, you talk about being this sort of farm boy. You spoke about having unconventional friends. What did you mean by that? Well, you've got to remember I was brought up in the 80s. This was just before the – was at the heart of our political – Challenges in South Africa. We had, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think people that were that grew up in the suburbs and in the cities had a very different view to mine. I mean, you know, I hear people saying that, you know, I have black friends. Well, I only had black friends. I only had that was that was my friends. I didn't know anything else. I mean, when I used to, you know, we used to sit in a little village and mm-hmm. and their parents would cook um, supper and lunch for us, and you know, it was it was what I knew. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know about all the. Mm-hmm the atrocity and I didn't know about all the ugliness and the racism and the, the ugliness. It wasn't part of my upbringing. So I think from that respect, I had a very different uh, uh, and clearer view of, of our people because, you know, I was, that's who I spent time yeah. with every single day. And uh, my parents were quite, my parents were quite yeah. active in a sense that they would help our, the surrounding communities and make sure that people were fed on the weekends and uh, built a really strong rapport mm-hmm. with you know everybody in the town, and this is quite interesting. So um, yeah, <laughs> we had we lived on this on this sort of panhandle thing, and uh, almost every home had been broken into, and something had been stolen, or, or something had happened. You know, petty petty crime, and we were the only mm. home, the only home on this panhandle that it was never touched ever. They were never touched. So obviously, somewhere in there, um, in that community, we were. We were held in a high regard by that community and we were protected by that community just as we yeah. protected and held that community in high regard. So from that sense, I didn't have the same yeah. the same ideology, I guess, as a lot of people do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when you say it, and obviously this is, you know, this is foremost a podcast show. So a lot of people are listening to this conversation and not watching it on the YouTube channel. Um, but I see a smile in your face when you say that. And um, I'm just curious, this this understanding of like what you put out, you know, what you give, you get, what you give, you get back, right? Did you, did you always have this notion about life or is this something now? Because it feels like your story, you traveled this journey and it's when you went through that dark patch after, you know, running, well, not running, but well, running the company in basically and, and it falling to the ground. And then you had that dark patch, you were overweight, you talk about, um, and that's when you started hashtag I'm staying, um, that that's where the sort of enlightenment happened in your life. Um, did you always have this knowledge of what you, what you give, you get back, or is this something that you're more aware of now? No, I think you become aware as you get older and, you know, the, the, the realities of the world become more transparent. And, uh, but I've, I've got to say that my, you know, my, my father played a very instrumental role in my life. He was, he was a very kind, very mm. caring human being, um, very intelligent. And, uh, you know, he constantly challenged my thinking. Um, and I think that, I think so, my mom as well. I mean, my mom played a, a huge, a huge part in that, in the sense that she was always for the underdog and she would, you know, she would never see anybody being hurt or, or neglected if she could help it. And she's a tiny little lady, but uh, she's got mm. a big, big heart and not yeah. scared of anything. And so, mm. I mean, I had these points of reference. I guess, I guess, you know, while you might not understand these points of reference while you're growing up, you know, you start to go through your own life experiences and then maybe these things start to become more relevant and you start to think back and reflect more on these things. And um, again, having a point of reference, I mean, I could have gone either way, right? I could have... Perhaps if I had not had those points of reference, I could have turned into a really ugly person. I could have done some really ugly things and and used my ability to to bring more darkness to the world. But I, I never did that um, because mm -hmm. I had these points of reference. So my my job came, you know, in my mind became uh, to bring more light uh, where I could. Yeah, yeah, and. You say to bring more light where you could, but when you had the when you had that um, real estate business, or when you started the 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 separate one with your friend, that became one of the most successful. Did you have that same philosophy of bringing good and light where you could? No, no. I mean, what did I care about good and light? I was making money. I was uh, I was making money. I was arrogant. I was mm. very cocksure of myself and. And all of the things that I was doing was promoting more of that um, attitude within me, right? Because I became untouchable. I, I, was, yeah. I was too hot to handle, man. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the whole thing came crashing down on me like a ton of bricks. Eh? <laughs> but you say it came crashing down on you. But it feels like you were instrumental in in that, though. So, do you think that that was more sort of a godly event, if you think about it? Because you say it came crashing down on you, which is what a lot of people think, right? When they're going through a hard time, they think that life and it is coming down on them. But is it not in a way? Do you think in a way it's like the spiritual thing that happens where? We're, we're, we're creating it ourselves. We're co-creating it in a way, right, with the universe, that this comes crashing down. But as a result, something better happens. Well, you know, I mean, hindsight is, you know, I guess uh, we could look at things like that. I mean, at the time, I'm not the one that stole the 37 million, you know, but I am the one that, that took action on it. Um, so in that respect, yes, I mean, I, I created my own, reality there certainly um but i think <clears throat> no matter what happens to us in our journey on our life's journey no matter whether it's us or whether it's the world around us um i believe that we have some level of predetermined fate i believe that we have some sort of place that we need to get to in our lives maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong you know um but i know that Every single experience that I went through, that I put myself through, 
that was thrust upon me led me to this place. I believe that I was supposed to be rock yeah. where I am and um, that I would never have achieved any of what I have if I hadn't have gone through that journey because there was so much emotional learning, so much realization, so much um, self-awareness that had to be taught, that had to that had to come to fruition. And otherwise I could have just carried on being that arrogant salesperson, right? That arrogant guy that was doing really well for himself, didn't really care too much about the world around him or anybody else in his world for that matter. I could have continued on that journey as many of us do, but that's not what my, that's not what my path was, I guess, you know, like I said, it's just, it's my own philosophy, but mm. it's my reality. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to go into where you are now with move 1 million and also just what ended up happening with hashtag I'm staying. Um, but just on the breath of what you were mentioning now, like, you know, so many people and at the moment also, you know, with COVID having been like this unexpected, you know, shock to everyone's system, a lot of people also losing jobs and also a lot of people reflecting very deeply about where they've been in their life because they've had so much time to reflect. Um, maybe just take us on that journey of that darkness and like, really like let us understand it because um it's in that darkness that you were able to be more humble it sounds to me and more vulnerable in then creating that um that video of hashtag i'm staying and um sort of being more open-hearted publicly as well what what more would you like for me to discuss on that so, yeah, so, I mean, you, you, you talk about this dark patch, but, I mean, what is, what is, show us what that meant, this dark period, because it was through that darkness you were able to step into something more enlightening. Um, yeah, listen, I think we've unpacked it pretty well. I think the, the reality is that uh, we had, the challenges were obviously financial challenges. We had uh, devastation in a number of the relationships that were forged. I was seen as public enemy number one to the people that uh, that worked at the company because I was the one that brought them down. I was, um, I was just not in a not in a sound mental or emotional state. I don't I don't know what more to say on the on the topic other than, um, you know, I was I was a broken individual. I was completely broken and I mm. was alone and was scared and was. Trapped, I guess, you know, cornered, snookered. Mm. Um, yeah. But I don't think there's much more to to unpack with that. You know, I, I was that's where I was, and I made the decision to change my my language and my uh, and try and seek out something that was more constructive. That's what I did. And how long were you in that process for? In that phase. Um, so that was from 2017 to 2019. It was a slippery slope downhill, but the, where it got okay. to the where it got to the crux yeah. of it was was uh, early 2019. Yeah, mm. and that's when you made that video because you were your your speech was in such a negative place at that time. Correct. Yeah. So tell us about the video. Exactly. Can you remember what you said? You, you spoke earlier about the wording and you were very specific with the wording. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. The wording that I gave you uh, earlier was exactly what I said. Let's be more grateful and let's have more gratitude and let's start focusing on the things that we can control. That was exactly what I said. Yeah. Just that. Yeah, it was a short video. Yeah. And can people still find this video? Um, <laughs> I'm sure if they go looking at my account, yeah, I mean, it's a lot's happened since then. A lot of, a lot of videos. So, okay. So that's hashtag I'm staying. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when did that then transition into now, which is the move 1 million and that's how, um, that's how we came to be together now, yeah. uh, in this conversation. So how did that transition from out of hashtag I'm staying into move 1 million? So, uh, when the hard lockdown occurred, 
we were trying to use I'm staying to motivate people. We had medical doctors, motivational speakers. We had, I interviewed everybody, anybody and everybody. I interviewed uh, some of our political leaders, um, some really, really well-regarded re uh, business icons in South Africa, um, people mm -hmm. that were in psychology. <laughs> We we spoke to everybody. We try to keep the try to keep. Why the do you laugh? Why do you laugh when you say that? Uh, well, I don't I don't know why I was laughing. It wasn't uh, just, I don't know part of my personality, I guess. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no. But I'm just curious if it's if it was something that was reflective in the journey. You 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 laugh in a way when you say psychologists or you know. Well, no, I think I was just getting to the point where with that, I think we was just getting. No, I'm just. I think I was just alluding to the fact that we spoke to anybody and everybody just to try and keep the people's sanity. I think that was what I was getting at. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah. so yeah, so we you know things got to the point where the levels of desperation and again it was actually quite similar to the first bout, I guess. Um, you know, people were starving. We had 13 million people in South Africa starving. We had no way of providing relief, but they were imposing these incredible measures against us, which were still arguably, um, I don't believe they were right the way that they, they did it. Um, I think that we've got far greater problems as a result of the measures that were taken. And it all culminated to a place where we became incredibly frustrated and we launched March one year. Mm. So it became about, uh, we wanted to actually just have a day where we could get South Africans together to march against the tyrannical measures that were being put in place and the fact that our country was falling to pieces. And, um, and someone said to me, don't you think you should make it a little bit less militant? And I thought on it and I said, okay, fine, let's, let's change that to move one million. And on the 5th of September, which is mm. ironic, and it just happened by coincidence, which is the same day that I did the video of Move One Million. A year later, we launched. Um, uh, we yeah. launched. Uh, sorry, of, I'm staying. We launched Move One Million, and we had 18 countries standing yes. in solidarity with us uh, on this day, where we said enough was enough. We were not going to continue to allow our country to be ruled and dictated to. Uh, we were not going to allow greed and violence and corruption and all the ugliness to to continue. We were going to find a way to build the nation, mm -hmm. to bring the nation closer together. And we were going to do that through service. We were going to do that through active citizenry. We were going to do that through the direct, uh, direct electoral process, which is, uh, which is currently sitting in parliament. It's just about, uh, just about ready to come out. And we were really going to push back against the system. We were going to stop the system in its tracks, but not through an anti-movement and not through a, uh, not through a resistance uh, per se, but more through the will of the people and through getting people activated and learning how to work together so that we could forge a new path. So it wasn't really one of trying to fight the system. It was a one about saying, well, we can build a new system. We can build a new way. And we don't have mm -hmm. to be beholden to, you know, greedy politicians and, uh, and those, that <coughs> to, those that seek to bring mm. discourse to our land. Yeah. So for people that are listening to this in America or New Zealand or Singapore, wherever, um, when you say the system, let's just talk about this in, in sort of simple, nutshell format. Like exactly what are we talking about here? You know, what, what, is, this, what is the situation and what is the system and what is it that you're trying to resolve? Well, I think no matter where you're sitting in the world right now, everybody can relate to where we are. You know, there are measures that are put in place that are tyrannical. We have the the idea of democracy is is gone. We are now sitting in a very communistic um, state, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. That's the reality of where we are right now. So, and this is not about this is not about vaccines, and this is not about COVID. This is about decisions that are made by our government that really. Um, trample over the rights of of people. Um, we you know we we are told that we live in a democratic society, but the reality is that we don't live in democracy. Democracy is an illusion. There's no way for the people to respond back to those that are sitting in positions of authority. Um, the, the bottom line is that people that are sitting in in positions of authority, like government and like big business, they are only beholden to one another. They make the rules and they impose those rules upon us. That's not democracy. That is not freedom. That is not what we have all mm. fought for so hard. Mm. 
So it's, it's time that we change that system, but you're never going to change the system by trying to fight the beast. You know, you can't, you can't take things, you can't, you can't use the same ideology that we've always used and hope to get a different result. We really need to turn to the people. We really need to look to each other and to find a way. And the only reason why we have power, mm. uh, why we've given so much power is because we've become so reliant on these systems. We are reliant on industry. We're reliant on so many of these things. <laughs> and the only way for us to mm. change that mm. is, to, is to change our own behavior. And by changing our own behavior, we can, we can shift the balance of power. And we must shift the balance of power because we cannot continue down this trajectory. We are going to find ourselves in a very, very, very frightening place if we allow things to continue. And I think that's a reality that our, most of your listeners, I'm sure, can relate to in some way. Yeah. So are you talking about then, because my understanding from the outside, and maybe that's also because you're a South African, um, is that your movement and Move One Million was very much uh, aligned with South Africans. But is this on a global scale? Well, I, you know, it was it was aligned to my country, my people, absolutely. But I think on a global scale, there's so many similarities and there's so many things that are relatable. All we have to do is look around right now and see how the people are standing and rising against their systems. They're rising against the governments. They've had enough. People are speaking out. Mm. They are... And, and whether they're right or whether they're wrong, and, and you know, you know, you've got all these weird, crazy conspiracy theories floating around about five G, and who cares? You know, it's mm. it's not the point. The point is that um, in a in a in an age of information, we've never had such little of it. We've never had such little clarity. We are more confused than we've ever been, and that's that's not a South African thing. That's a global thing. We don't know who to trust in the media. We don't know who mm. to trust in government. We don't know who to trust on social media. You know, there's, there is so much discourse, there is so much disconnect, there is so much disinformation and misinformation floating around. And we used to know where the disinformation and misinformation came from, and now we don't. Now we don't. Now we don't know who's lying and who's mm -hmm. not lying. It's a horrible, lonely place for us to be in. The only thing that you can trust is the person standing next to you, really. The person that's in the same boat as you. The person that's being affected in the same way that you're being affected. The person that has lost what you've lost. That's the person you can trust. That's the person you can, you know, you can you can stand next to. Um, and I think that I mm. think that we've got to we've really got to look at ourselves and and look at the role that we've played, allowing things to get to where they've gotten to, um, and ask ourselves how we bring about that change. And uh, it's certainly true for South Africa, and I know it's true for just about the whole world right now. Yeah. So, um, out of interest, are you familiar with the B Corp movement? No. Okay, no, because you talk about being an activist, and that's it's a it's it's a move it's it's a it's an organization that uh, any company and Unilever and big companies are trying to be a B Corp company, which is very much where you um, do business for good, and so and it's. Um, it's not just the people at the top who are running the company. Everyone involved in the business has a say in the business. Um, so it's it's becoming quite a big, it's a big movement in Europe, uh, America. Um, and yeah, I was just curious because you talk about being an activist and that's something that they're also promoting at the moment is that people actually, you know, they need, people need to be activists mm. these days. Mm. So I was just curious if you had heard about the B Corp no. movement or B Lab. No. Um, yeah, so it's something interesting for you to look into. Yeah. Um, but so you've got this. So w what is um, Move One Million? Is it a charity? You you talk about being an activist yourself. Mm -hmm. No, Move One Million is not a charity. We are a, a, a not-for-profit company. Um, our focus is on direct elections. We do have a, a charitable arm. Um, we do work closely with NGOs, uh, promote them, empower them support them on their efforts on the ground. But our, our focus is on the people, directly electing our own people, being able to hold uh, leadership in South Africa to account, um, being able to change the political system as it stands right now. That is really our position. And that will be our focus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's very, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it is, it's, so it's actually, a, you 
are you wanting to become a political party? Is it are you wanting to to have to? No, we have no interest in becoming a political party. We will remain a, a movement, a liberation movement for the people, by the people. Our focus is on empowering everyday South Africans that have shown leadership during these very difficult times to make sure that we can promote that leadership, to make sure that that leadership can stand as an independent, so that that leadership gets supported, so that we can have our own people sitting in the House of Parliament that are not part of a political party, that do not represent a political party, that represent the, 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 the people of South Africa, that are accountable to the people of South Africa, that are servants to the people of South Africa. Our entire organization, our entire movement, our entire ethos is around the people, not political parties, not becoming a political party, not smashing or promoting mm. politics in any way. We are here to focus on how we can empower the people to turn things around. Um, and that is our focus and will continue to be our focus for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And so um, give me an example of the people. Give me a few examples of empowering the which people like. Empowering which people? So give me an example. You say the people. We want to empower the people. Like give me examples on an everyday Oh, uh, just a people, everyday people, level who can I people, picture in my head the people are the citizens of South Africa so we want to empower the citizens of South Africa we want to make sure that that those who have been the most marginalized the most affected the most neglected by society are the ones that we can walk beside are the ones that we can uh, work with so mm. you know we want to make sure that we can um, and highlight the the, the 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 companies the NGOs the the, the non-government organizations that have been uh, in the thick mm -hmm. of it for the longest time, providing education, providing support, providing food relief, providing all the tools that are needed in order to create some semblance of a functioning society. Those are the people. We want to focus on the citizens of South Africa. Yes. The citizens of South Africa are and will always be our primary. And we will, uh, we will always put them first. Yeah. And we will always fight to try and create some levels of equality. And, and hopefully inspire through our actions as citizens the nation so that we can all walk together on this journey and to build this movement, which is a liberation movement by the people, for the people, one that can hold leadership mm. to account. So then here you are. How many people work for you or with you, beside you? Uh, many, many. We've got uh, we've got a, a well-structured organisation led by our CEO Derek Holmes, who are appointed um, uh, last year. We've got a full board of directors. We've got a steering committee. We've got an executive committee. We've got an action forum. We've got 150 branches on the ground. We've got 550,000 members. We've got a UK business arm. We're busy establishing business units in um, in Israel and in China and in the USA with our expat communities that reside there. We've got a substantial um, number of people mm -hmm. that make up this organization. So then, for example, uh, your your name came became known to me through someone who's based in England but who is South African. So with branches in these overseas countries, what can they, ex how can they expect to have an interaction with you? With me personally or with the organization? The organization and well, if your personal gets involved, just, yeah, how can that directly commute, you know, connect with them? Yeah. So we, uh, we are currently busy putting a platform together, a tech platform. Um, that tech platform is going to enable people from anywhere in the world to be able to participate in a number of different things like supporting projects and operations on the ground. It will enable them to help us shape policies within the organization. Um, I think the, 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 the strength of what we are is that we are grassroots development. So we don't want to be a top-heavy organization that dictates the way that our political parties do. We want to be an organization that listens to the people and provides tools so that the people can have their views and can speak and then use what they've said to shape policy and to shape the direction that we take as an organization. So we'll, we'll, through those tools and through those functions, we'll be able to have people participating anywhere in the world. You don't have to be in South Africa, um, but you can certainly have your hand in the organization and be an active participant in how the organization um, goes forward. Mm. Yeah. So 
here I am now. Well, now I'm in South Africa, but I, I mean, I'll, um, I'm also based in the Netherlands. So, um, but I'm here at the moment. So, how would I get involved personally? Like Jen, I, you know, I host a show. Um, I bring people's stories to the surface. You know, just just me. Like I'm just trying to see it from a really grassroots level from me, and then for the people listening to also be able to connect with that grassroots understanding. How would I want to uh, connect with you? So obviously I'm interested in politics in a way that I want everyone to be treated fairly and I want, um, yeah, I just want to live in a, a loving community, you know, where there's no crime. Um, I think for me coming back from having lived overseas for over 20 years um, and I come back now, you know, just on an everyday citizen, I just want South Africa to, yeah, to not have to have electric fences, for example, and to know that people are safe um, and to know that obviously the money in taxes is going, you know, to a good place um, and is being used properly, uh, that the electricity is not cutting out, for example. Like these are my everyday uh, challenges here, right? How would I then want to connect with Move One Million, or would I? You know, is there a connection there for me? So I think let's let's um, understand what we are setting out to achieve with independent candidates and independent um, machinery that we that we're aiming to build. There are two very important mm-hmm. um, pieces of legislation that exist right now. One is the Section Fifteen of the IEC Act, which allows associations, everyday people like you and I, to register an uh, an association made up of community leaders from various wards within your municipality, Uh, that that association can challenge the the party that is currently in uh, control of that municipal area. And we have so far taken 28 municipalities away from political parties. So we have decentralized municipalities, which means that that association made up of the people, 100% independent candidates and the association are now in control of their rates, their taxes and their services. They are now sitting with the ability to be able to ensure that those monies make it to their intended destination, to make sure that those municipalities, uh, those wards within those municipalities are functioning efficiently and correctly. And this is all part of our process. There are a number. There are another forty-six uh, municipalities that have been declared delinquent by our government. They just want to write them off. We're taking those as well. And there's only two hundred and fifty-seven municipalities that reside in South Africa. So by the time we're done, our intention is to decentralise municipalities to make sure that these municipalities now belong to the people. That every single person that resides within that municipality is accountable to the people because they were elected by the people, and they don't get to hide behind a political party. They don't mm-hmm. get to hide behind the cadre deployment. They must be equipped and skilled for the job mm-hmm. that they have. These are all these are all things that we are now involved in that are making a, a huge uh, impact. Okay. The other thing is the is the direct electoral bill, which uh, is now sitting in Parliament. We handed it over on the 18th of November last year. That was brought through by an association called OSA One South Africa with my good friend Michael Louis. Musimi Amani is also part of that. We have uh, we worked with the New Nation Movement to actually identify a significant flaw, where the IEC directly contravened the Constitution. The Constitution says that you have the right to run as an independent candidate. The IEC said you must form a political party in order to run. So this was this was challenged in court, the constitutional courts, and it was found in favour um, by Chief Justice Mahueng Mahueng that the IEC Electoral Act must change in line with the Constitution. They were given 24 months. We are now sitting just uh, over a year. It's passed all of its political musters. So these are all things that we that we are involved in. So let's just unpack what that means. If we start looking at mm. the 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 challenges that we face, okay, at ground level, because many of our municipalities are dysfunctional, which means that many of our wards are not functional. We don't have things like flushing toilets in mm-hmm. a large part of the country. We don't have things like services where people have got just basic services that you and I take for granted every day where you can just go and throw your stuff in the bin and the truck will come and collect it. They don't have any form of sewerage. 
So you literally have feces and, and urine and all sorts of human excrement floating down every time there's a rain and kids play in this. We've got so many levels of broken, no food stability, no way of encouraging any levels of food stability. So all of these things, we now have to take as a responsibility as the people. We cannot trust the government to do it. Clearly, there's no, there's no ways that the government could do it, even if we had the most, even if we had the most ethical government in South Africa, the task is simply too great. We have only focused on a very small minority and making sure that very small minority is, is functioning as a society. And we've got a huge amount of broken. Mm-hmm. So we have a huge responsibility now as the people to work in tandem with government because we're not making government the enemy here. What we're saying is that the people that reside in leadership positions within our government need to be changed. We need to make sure that we've got mm-hmm. people that are going to be held accountable that reside within government. We have the private sector and then we have social uh, civil mm-hmm. society. It's a trifecta. That trifecta... Is, yeah. is, going to, is going to be the make or break as to whether or not we can turn our society around. Now, if you want to get involved with us as civil society or as a business or if you're in media or it doesn't matter what your, you know, if you have some will to want to get involved, we, these, these tech platforms that we're building are there to make sure we can identify the leadership within these wards, make sure that we can launch projects that are relative to these challenges that we face and then build an ecosystem around those challenges to support the repair. So that's how you can get involved. You don't have to be in South mm-hmm. Africa to do that. You can do that by way of um, supporting through financial aid. You can do that. And, and that yeah. financial aid doesn't have to come directly to Move One Million. That financial aid can come in the way of one of our partners that you'd like to support, an NGO or, or another business or however you'd like to, to do that. But we are providing the tools through technology to be able to reach in and make an impact in South Africa no matter where you sit geographically. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So what were your wording? You talk about wording and Abraham Hicks. What were, what was your wording when you when you started Move One Million for yourself? Like what was the mission statement? I, to be honest, I can't really remember um, all that well. Uh, but I, I, we we sort of... It's changed since then, actually. Um, but we, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the, mm. the crux of it was that, you know, we are in the battle for the heart and the soul of South Africa and that we need to stand as the yeah. people and not allow this to continue any longer and that we are not here to mm. fight political parties and we have no resentment yeah. towards any political supporters but this is beyond politics. This goes way beyond politics. This, this, is about, this is about the people, what we can do as civil society. And I think our mission has always been, and we use the same ideology with Move On Million as we did with I'm Staying, is to say that we don't care about your religion. We don't care about your race. We don't care about your political affiliations. This transcends all of that. What this is, is the fight mm. for our country, for our home. And that transcends all of these things, these things that seem to so often divide us and separate us from reaching our true potential. We want it to be bigger than that, better than that. And, yeah. um, and then yeah. define, define something that would create a vehicle to drive us to, to the promised land. <laughs> to the promised land. Yeah. So tell me, is this, is like, it? I know you, you said it's, it's, in a way, like I'm hearing you saying, it's not poli- it's not political because it's for the people. It's it's you, but I mean, it is it's uh, in a way it, we become political anyway, right? Because it's 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 the whole country's situation. Um, is this something that you're wanting to grow into even more, or are you wanting to you know stay? It's, it feels like you want to stay on the outside of politics, but you are very vo- involved in politics. Well, you can't not be involved in politics. I mean, let's, let's just have a real frank conversation here yeah. for a second. Politics exists in everything. And politics has been made a dirty word. It was never supposed to be that way. Politics was supposed to be a group of people coming together to effect mm-hmm. positive change, to identify problems and find solutions. That was politics. Now politics has become about money and it's become about power. And that's what that's, it was never the intention. Never. So, so, you know, mm. one could say that we are political and, well, I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to challenge that. If you want to assume us to be a political party or, uh, you know, with, have political motivations, so be it. Well, 
as an organization, I can tell you that we will never register as a political party and we will never be, you will never find us as an organization sitting in the House of Parliament. Although you may very well find many of our support base sitting in the House of Parliament as an individual. The organization will always stand on the outside of, uh, of, the, of Parliament. We will always stand on the outside. We will always be a movement that is there to ensure that the will of the people is done, to ensure that we hold not just political um, parties to account and not just politicians, but also businesses and also other organizations you know, that, are, that do not serve the best interests of our country. Mm. They have put their own desperate needs ahead of those of the country. So that, that positions us more as an ombudsman. It positions us more as a watchman on the wall. Mm. So we will always yeah, have, we, okay. we will always have, you know, we will always promote good ethical leadership and we will do whatever we can to make sure that that good ethical leadership is in a place where it can affect the most change and that will be the House of Parliament. Um, but we will not mm. be we will not be in there as a, an organization. We will be steadfast outside the gates, peering in. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool to see that. And <clears throat> what what constantly comes up when I hear you talk about this as well is it's so interesting how that transition in your life, right? When when you had that time where you you let go of that life where everything was about sort of as you talk about the big ego and the money and you were, you know, the king of your castle. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, now you've become not the gatekeeper, but now you've, be, you know, you talk about being on the wall and, and watching, you know, being a god, you know, making sure that, that things are being protected. And it's interesting how you had that experience. It had such a profound impact on you and which seems to be this reiterating force in your drive of what you're creating now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, one has to come to the realization in their lives that we can spend our entire life chasing things and um, gathering. We can gather all sorts of things. We can gather houses and cars and money and businesses, you know. But... Um, that doesn't mean you've succeeded in your life. It doesn't mean success. Success to me is mm. what you can give, um, how you can impact someone in a positive way, how you can bring a little bit of light to the darkness, you know, how you are remembered. That is success in my view. And um, I've, had to learn, I've had to learn all of this on my journey you know, because I, I wanted to be this thing. And it was just not my path. I was mm. never destined to be that thing. I think my destiny now is to is to help where I can, do what I can with the time that I have. And I would love to impart that philosophy on as many people as I can along my journey, you know, and to plant as many seeds as I can now so that when my time here is up, that we can continue to, to walk in that path um, as a people and continue to affect people's lives in a way that is meaningful. And unless you're doing that, you're not living. You know, you're just existing. And you can be surrounded by all the riches of the mm. world and, um, and not get that point and have achieved nothing in your life. And I don't think that's our purpose. I don't think yeah. that's why we were put here. I don't think humanity was come was put on this earth just to rape and pillage our resources and to break everything that is good for stuff, you know. And the more I, the more I journey along um, and my relationship is starting to change with my environment around me, when I speak of the environment, I mean the planet and animals and industry and the oceans. I mean, I'm really starting to just look at all of it and say, how did we go so wrong? You know, how did we go so far away from this beautiful thing mm. that was all just works in perfect unison. Everything just works. And here we are just smashing it up to pieces. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that we have a very important role to play, not only to defend our democracy, not only to protect our people, but also to protect our planet and to protect this beautiful place we call home so that it can continue to provide for us, you know, long after we are all gone. Yeah. So on that note, what's your message to 
people out there who are in a job um, because they're in a job because they need a job, mm. um, where you had this enlightenment and this huge transition in your life. And, you know, I, I, I often say, like, some people have to live a whole lifetime to learn what's really important, right? And some people have these moments in life, these either shocking moments, traumatic, tragic moments through their life and earlier on, which teach them these certain things. But a lot of people can also be living like ants or sheep where they just, you know, they're on that treadmill of life. Like what would your advice be to those people who are listening now that this particular message speaks to their heart where they feel like, you know, what am I doing with my life? And how can I turn it around? You know, they didn't have something so traumatic happen to them. Or what would your message be to those people? You know, my dad always said to me, don't give people advice because if you're right and they didn't take your advice, they'll hate you. And if you're wrong and they took your advice, they'll hate you. <laughs> so I'm a little bit cautious to give people advice. You know, I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak for myself. And if you, if you are feeling the way I'm feeling, then this is what's my journey. You know, my journey was to throw caution to the wind and at great risk and at great pain, I might add. You know, we've I've suffered financially significantly as a result of my decisions, but I've grown emotionally significantly as a result of my decisions. And uh, I mm. believe that, um, I believe that, you know, we'll, I'll, the, the, the financial stability will come eventually in time when it's supposed to, but, but we're not cattle. We're not cattle. You know, life isn't just about waking up first thing in the morning, going to a job that you hate just so that you can pay your bills and spend money on stuff that you don't need just to do it all over again continuously. Uh, it's insanity. There's, there's, there's nothing normal about that. There's nothing normal about existing when you should be thriving in a world that was designed to thrive. You know, we were, we are earthlings. We were designed to thrive. We were designed to, to be happy and to, and to, mm. and to just get the best out of life, you know, and somewhere along the line, man arrived. Mm. <laughs> and, and he arrived with all his philosophies and all his ideologies and all his smartness, you know, that he, all these things that he knew better and, and in the process destroyed everything good. And, uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be complicit to that in my personal thing. So I'm not going to advise anybody, but I think everyone needs to really just reach inside themselves. And if your calling is so loud and so great that you cannot ignore it, then my advice would be don't ignore it. And that's all I'm going to say. Cool. It was a, it was strong advice. <laughs> well, my dad Even must be though shaking you don't like to give me. advice, well, it was still advice. Yeah, my dad's probably shaking his head at me right now, saying, "I warned you." <laughs> yeah. But Jared, um, you talk about um, the, I'm, we're going to lead towards closing off now. But I I do want to quickly go back to that one comment you made about you know you've suffered a great deal um, in making this change because this is what people are so afraid of. Mm. Um, they're so afraid of shaking their financial status. And I mean, I know, so you do have a daughter, you've, you, you know, you've given us a little bit of info there about your, you know, you, just your private life situation, which is important for people to understand because most people who are afraid to take these leaps have a family, right? Whether it's an ex or whatever, but they have dependents. Um, this is what people are so afraid of. It's that financial risk. It's the financial instability. C can you just give us a little bit more meat there, you know, for people to, I don't know, not maybe not be so afraid or. I honestly don't know what else to say on that topic. You know, um, we, we all have to live with the choices that we make. Um, all I know is that I don't want to turn around one day at the end of my life and say, I wish I had, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to turn around and feel like I wasted my time trying to gain things that brought me really no fulfillment. And if you think that money mm. is going to give you fulfillment, well, I'm sorry to tell you it won't. You know, if you think that a new house and a new car is going to make you happy, it may for a short while, but Eventually, you'll just want another one. 
and another one and you'll never really be satisfied. You know, we've been taught that happiness comes externally and we've been taught that the things that we, that we gain are the things that bring us happiness and that's a lie. That's a lie. Happiness is something that is internal. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be happy. If you're earning a lot of money and you're very happy with your life and you've got yachts and you're traveling the world and that's, that fulfills you, then that fulfills you. You know, this is not about, this is not about you then, I guess. You know, but if, you, if you're feeling lonely and empty, if you're feeling like you, you're supposed to be on a different path, that's your intuition talking. That's your, that's your internal system talking to you. You know, if you feel like the world doesn't make sense to you right now and, and you don't know where to fit in, that's that's your that's your intuition. That's your that's I believe that's your spirit talking to you, you know. And ignore your own advice, you know, emotional, intuitive advice at your own peril. You know, we, we live an average of twenty eight thousand days. Let's put that into perspective. Humanity is on this earth, the average person, if they get to live a full life, for twenty eight thousand days. How many days have gone by? Wow. How many days <laughs> How many days have you squandered? How many days do you have left? And what are you going to do with the time that you have? The beautiful gift of life that's been given to you. That's it. Cool. Yeah, beautiful. Well, it's been super, super cool to chat to you and to, yeah, just connect with, you know, to, to be able to share a story of someone who, you know, a South African who's living in England and wanted to hear your story. And now I hear your story and I, you know, it's, it's, be, it's, a, it's a privilege to share your story with people who aren't living here. And, um, you know, I made that move to come back here and everyone is completely shocked that I did because I've lived overseas since I was 23. And, um you know, South Africa is just such a stunning, beautiful country with such beautiful people. And, um, you know, what you're doing and creating these strong foundations, you know, and, and yeah, building pillars in place that, you know, that can be, yeah, just people can believe in and people can... Um, yeah, build around and, you know, it's beautiful. And, um, yeah, I'm just uh, really happy to have someone like you in South Africa, you know, when I've just arrived back and I can, you you know, you're one of the first people I'm interviewing now for our new season. So it's really cool to, you know, connect with such a strong, you know, strong heart of Africa. Well, I'm very honored to have been given this opportunity to speak with you and uh, I hope that our message, you know, does something positive for someone today that hears it or whenever they get an opportunity to listen and uh, welcome home. You know, we, no, it will. Yeah. We need, yeah. Uh, we need, we need people home. Yeah. This is our home. Mm. We have work to do. Beautiful. Thanks, Jared. Thank you very much for having me. So guys, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Share the show with all your family and friends. As I always say, sharing is caring. Go to the website, inspirationalinterviews.com and also join the club, please. There you'll have access to really super cool features and also, yeah, great guest content and you'll be a part of our live interviews. Find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, see you on the flip side. Let's see. Where this song might lead